This morning, as we begin our Advent journey here at Covenant, we are also launching into a new teaching series here. Our church operates usually in teaching series, series that take us through certain periods of the year. And if nothing else, this series is going to be distinct and unique by the duration of time that it will take. If you've come here before, usually our series are four weeks or five weeks, six weeks maybe. This one is gonna last for 23 weeks. And we really think it's a good idea. But for almost six months, what we're going to do is journey through the Gospel of Luke together. Starting with chapter one today and then moving our way chapter by chapter through this good news that is proclaimed to us in Jesus Christ. The reason that we're gonna spend so much time, almost half of the next year doing this, is because it's gonna allow us, we hope, to investigate our vision of what we believe we're called to here at Covenant. Our vision statement is we're encouraging one another to follow Jesus wherever we live, work, and play. I hope you've heard that before. But what does it really mean? We probably all have different ideas. We probably all have different Bible stories we think of. Most of the time, those stories reflect what we already think about what God and faith and life should look like. But what we want to be is the kind of community where we're not just told that we're right in what we already think when we walk in the door but we believe that God can actually transform us, can actually teach us, can actually grow us. And so we want to take some time to dive into the fullness of what following Jesus looks like. And the reason we're gonna do this through the book of Luke is that Luke is unique among the four gospels in that it uh, kind of follows the most chronological story of Jesus' life, starting with the prophecies before his birth and then all the way through the resurrection. So we will begin with uh, Luke chapter one today, and we'll stay in Luke chapter one throughout the three following Sundays in Advent. These are the stories of the prophecies about John the Baptist, the prophecies about Jesus' birth. On Christmas Eve, we'll move into Luke chapter two, which is the story of Jesus' birth. We'll then in January, February, March, we will move our way chapter by chapter, seeing the ministry, the teachings, the healings, the admonitions of Jesus. And then on April 21st, on Easter, we will journey at that point into Luke chapter 24, which is the story of the resurrection. So what we hope is, is that no matter who you are or where you are in your journey of faith, of exploring faith and who Christ is, that this will be an opportunity for several weeks, many weeks in fact, to really dive deeply into the journey of following Jesus and what that looks like. And it's gonna be a joy to do that together, to do that as a church, as a community. So we'll begin today with Luke chapter one, starting in verse five. That's where our journey begins. And I invite you to listen now to God's word to us all today. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly order of Abijah. His wife was a descendant of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. Both of them were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord, but they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and both were getting on in years. 
Once, when he was serving as priest before God and his section was on duty, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and offer incense. Now at the time of the incense offering, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. Then there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and fear overwhelmed him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you will name him John. You will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He must never drink wine or strong drink even before his birth. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. With the spirit and power of Elijah, he will go before him to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, how will I know if this is so? For I am an old man and my wife is getting on in years. The angel replied, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. But now, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time, you will become mute, unable to speak until the day these things occur. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondered at his delay in the sanctuary. When he did come out, he could not speak to them and they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He kept motioning to them and remained unable to speak. When his time of service was ended, he went to his home. And after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she remained in seclusion. She said, this is what the Lord has done for me when he looked favorably on me and took away the disgrace I have had among my people. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that no matter who we are or how we walk in here, that you would meet us here today, that we would encounter you, and you would change us forever. We pray for this in Christ's name. Amen. So friends, if this is a story you're making up, I'm not certain that this is the way you would start the story. If you think about how a Hollywood movie works or something on Netflix or a book that you read, there's sort of a way that shows begin. And what they want to do is they want to grab your attention in the opening seconds, right? And they want to kind of prepare you for something exciting, something that is good that is coming. And there certainly is that element here. But one of the things that we are forced to confront in this passage from the very beginning of Luke is something that very few of us, probably almost none of us here, would like to be part of the story. And that is, is that what we encounter are two people, Zechariah and Elizabeth, who are waiting, waiting. And their waiting has been taking place for decades. Now, I don't know about any of you, but if there is one thing that my spiritual immaturity comes bounding out about, it involves the process of waiting. I can't stand waiting in almost any circumstance. And if people say to me that this is going to be an opportunity for us to wait, I am one that likes to move in a different kind of direction, right? I don't like waiting under any circumstances. I get the miracles of technology. I know how amazing it is that on my smartphone I can upload a video and I can watch what took place and 
college football yesterday or college basketball. I can see all this stuff. And I know that it's a miracle that something broadcast in another part of the country or the world is broadcast up into space and it comes down to my device. When I get all of that, I still don't like waiting when it takes time to upload. I get the miracles of it. I still don't like waiting. I don't like waiting in traffic, for example. And that is an opportunity that God invites me into often in Austin, <laughs> right? And one of the conflicts that can arise in my marriage or the people I'm driving with is that when I am encountering traffic, I don't wait well. I can maybe become more aggressive than if Jesus was behind the wheel that he might be. And if I'm on the highways and waiting, I will get off of the highways to make my way through the back roads to get to where I'm going. And it probably winds up taking 20 minutes longer than if I'd stayed on the highway, but I do it anyway, because I'd rather be moving with the sense that I'm going forward than just tapping the brakes like that. I just don't do it well. And there is maybe no more wondrous place to wait in line than in the security lines of the airport, right? <laughs> I'm so glad Austin Airport has now uh, put up flat screen TVs around so that when you go into the, to the airport, it says to you of the three security lines, here's the expected wait at each one. And so I can map out, I go in the central door so I have kind of equal access to all of them because the worst is if you go in on one end and the short security line is way on the other end of the airport, right? So you go into the middle and then you can scan it out, which is the shortest one to wait for. Now, I knew I had a problem with this the week before Thanksgiving when I was flying to Richmond, Virginia. And as I was flying, I got that, my phone vibrated as I was walking in from the parking deck into the airport with that courtesy text saying that your flight has been delayed by an hour and a half. And so you might not want to come to the airport where you're just going to have to wait. It's always nice when those texts come in when you've arrived at the airport. And then they let you know that this is going to take place. And you know that once your flight's delayed by 90 minutes, that's normally the opening act to a five-set, you know, uh, drama of, you know, push it back 20 more minutes and 30 more minutes and everything else. Despite the fact that I had arrived on time and that I knew I had a 90 minute delay, I still was impatient with the wait of getting through the security line. I scanned out which was the right one to go to. I went to the one with the shortest wait. Why? So I could wait on the other end, but I just didn't want to wait in this line the whole time. And I'm going through it. And I probably, if you had, you know, in like cartoons, they have those thought bubbles above your head. Uh, we, like what the character in the cartoon is thinking in a moment. If those things existed and you saw the thought bubble that was above my head as I wait in airport security lines, you would not want me to be the pastor of your church anymore. <laughs> right? It is not how Jesus looks at these people. And so as I was delayed, I was going through the line and I decided to do something that I had heard a, a, a pastor talk about. He said, you know, when I go through the airport security line and I'm waiting and I feel impatient, I just start looking at the people who are in the line around me and I start praying for them. I was like, okay, well, that sounds like a more mature way of approaching this than I normally do. So I tried it, right? And I started like sitting in the line and you're trying not to be creepy at that point, right? Cause you don't wanna like <laughs> stare at someone you don't know. And, but, but it was kind of a cool thing, right? You start praying for people. And it's like, Lord, whatever they're traveling for, or they seem stressed or uh, they seem upset or they seem excited, like whatever this is, I hope, you know, you see a family and little children maybe flying for the first time and you kind of pray for them. But then my prayers turned and my impatience started bubbling up because the line wasn't moving fast. And as we were kind of watching the stations at the front, there was a lady that got to the front and she was like, oh, do I need my ID and boarding pass as well? And you're like, yes, 
There's 39 signs in the line telling you you need your ID and boarding pass, and there's a TSA agent saying to you before you're there, make sure you have your ID and boarding pass, and they get, do I need my ID? And then I'm like, Lord, bless her, bless her, and what is taking place right now, and I lift her up before you, and I lift all the other people in line up before you that they would hear the announcement that they need their boarding pass. Because then these people like pull out like a file folder of like, I gotta find my, my ID in there. It's like, just give them your driver's license. Just give them your driver's license and it's done. You've got it right there. You don't need to look for this magical form. I pray for them and everything that is going on in their life. All of this stress coming out so that I could get through and wait for a delayed flight on the other end. I, I am not good at waiting. And judging by what I see in the world around us and in this city and in our culture and in the United States, I'm not alone in that. Because while I was praying, and honestly, my prayer in the line became a prayer of confession as to what a terrible person I was, uh, I noticed that almost everybody else in our country waits in a certain way, which is waiting is a waste of time to just wait. So what do we do? We get on our phones. Because just waiting is a delay in being productive. So we look at our emails, or we look at our texts, or we see what's going on, because we're not people who just wait. Waiting is a problem to be solved. We want efficiency. We want things to move. But what we read in the scriptures, and what we understand that Advent is about, is learning that waiting has value. We see this in the story that's before us today. Zechariah and Elizabeth. This is a couple that is waiting, not in a security line, not waiting out a traffic jam that is an inconvenience. This is a couple that has been waiting for years to start a family. Journeying through what it says is years and decades in the text of infertility. As somebody, as I've shared before, that my wife and I went on this journey of infertility for several years, the word that Elizabeth uses is disgraced in there, and that sounds harsh, but it is strange when you go through those journeys, the whispers and the voices and the things that you can start to believe about why is this not happening, about what does it mean about us. It's a couple that's been waiting on this journey, and the other word that it says is not only are they waiting for decades, but they were waiting as people who have been disgraced by this. That's the word that Elizabeth uses, the disgrace that she has felt in the eyes of the community. Because at that time and in that culture, it was seen that if you didn't have children when you were married, that God was somehow withholding something from you as punishment. So it was a public thing, and it was a kind of public shaming that almost took place. And they are waiting and they are waiting, and they are waiting. I know it doesn't feel very Christmassy, and Advent's supposed to be, right, just gearing up for Christmas. But actually what Advent is, and why we light a candle of hope, is that Advent is a time when we are actually to journey towards those places of hurt and waiting, and to see what God wants to do with us when we're in that place. And so I ask you today to go where the text goes, not to just get Christmassy, because it's December 2nd and 78 degrees or whatever it is outside. I love Austin in December, right? It's like, yeah, it's Christmassy, right? 
I love it. It's great. Decorating your, your tree in shorts and flip-flops. That's, that's the way it's supposed to be done. We're not just getting Christmassy, but I invite you to ask yourself this question today. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? And by that, I don't just mean like you're waiting for the sermon to be done. What are you waiting for, like Zechariah and Elizabeth were waiting? What are the prayers that have been unanswered? What are the things that you have quit praying about it because the answer kept being something other than what you wanted and you don't even see it as waiting anymore, it's just how life is? Maybe you were one who was waiting and wondering if you'll ever feel fully restored to health. Maybe you're one who is waiting to see if God will bring along a spouse, someone for you to share the journey with. Maybe you're waiting to see if a cure is found in time. Maybe you're waiting to see if this estranged relationship might be healed before the Christmas holiday travels arrive. Maybe you're waiting to see if your children will start making better choices and the life choices that are before them. Maybe you're waiting for grief to pass away so that you can start feeling normal like yourself again. This text invites us to go there, and it may not feel Christmassy, but we're not yet singing, O come all ye faithful. We're singing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. Advent is about more than just getting Christmassy. But it invites us to go to those places that may not feel Christmassy and to ask ourselves the question, what are you waiting for today? What are we waiting for as a people? What are you waiting for as a people in your family? What are we waiting for as a city? What are we waiting for as a nation right now? What are we waiting for in our world? Because there's this idea in this text that for Zechariah and Elizabeth, they have been living with all kinds of shame and they have been living with this prayer for decades that has gone unanswered. But what we see that is spoken by the angel Gabriel to Zechariah and what we are invited to dare to believe is true for each of us today is that in our waiting, God is not absent. It's a bold and it's an audacious thing and maybe even a semi-offensive thing to claim. But that God is not absent in our waiting. That God uses our waiting and why the scripture talks about waiting on the Lord, not being a problem to solve, but a discipline to engage. That waiting, God is using this period to mold and shape and form us. Now to be clear, what it's not saying is that God gives us these things. God did not give Elizabeth and Zechariah infertility in order to teach them something. That is the product of you and I living in a fallen and broken world where life is not as it should be. But what God does is God redeems and God heals and God brings transformation. But one of the hard parts about waiting is that sometimes the way God redeems and heals and brings transformation is not in the form we want and it's not in the time frame that we want. 
And so waiting is hard. And we are invited in faith to believe that this candle is real, that just as God was doing something in Elizabeth and Zechariah in their waiting, shaping and forming them, that God is doing the same for you and I as we wait today. God is accomplishing something in this. Now, so that that's not just like intellectual fodder, what does that mean? Like, what does that actually mean as you and I sit here in our places of want and pain and difficulty and unanswered prayers and say God is doing something? Well, let's take this couple and let's take it out of this idea of like, oh, this is this biblical story that took place 2,000 years ago. I want you to hear this with fresh ears as to what this journey that Zechariah and Elizabeth were on. See, Zechariah, it says, is a priest. means he's one who's been trained. He's one who's been educated. It's one who was accepted uh, into uh, levels of serving as a priest that other people had applied for and not got into. He was a successful person. He was seen as a moral person. He was a leader. And then you have his wife, Elizabeth. Elizabeth comes from the tribe of Aaron. She comes from a respected family. She comes from a respected lineage. In Bethlehem at this time, when those two got married, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were seen as the ones that people looked at going, man, do they have life just figured out. Those are the two that you want together. Kind of these people who've made the right decisions. They've kind of done everything the right way. They have their whole life and leadership in front of them. Imagine what they are going to do in the decades to come. And they, at this point in the story, it's kind of become a shell of themselves. Feeling disgraced. What does it mean God's redeeming and doing something in that? Well, this might be a little bit of a jump, but I know that this would be true for me as a parent. It might be true for some of you or what you've seen. But when you come from a place where both of you are these amazing successes in life, and both of you come from this lineage, and you have this family and these traditions and everything else, there is a pressure that comes of parents for children of creating children who will be faithful and live out that legacy, Right? So we got to be on the honor roll in school. We got to put the bumper sticker on our car and we got to make sure that they kind of dress the right way and look the right way and we kind of everything else and we kind of get into the right colleges and then they get the right job and they go to the right grad school and everything else. And then they have children and they kind of continue on the same path. And it's not too much of a jump to say that that's not just a phenomenon of American culture in 2018, that that's what parents want for their children. And Zechariah and Elizabeth had made a life of making successful, right, faithful, moral decisions And my guess is that their plan was to get married, to have children, to start a family, to have their kind of the career and the priest and everything else, and that their children would follow in that line. And God had a totally different plan for their son. Their son was not going to be one who was going to walk in the respectable circles of religious society of his day. His name was going to be John. And John had a calling from God to shake up the establishment and the religious order enough that had wandered away from the path that God wanted them on and to prepare the way for Jesus. John was going to become one who was going to offend the priests like Zechariah. John was going to become one who would question the validity of just being a part of the line of Aaron, like Elizabeth, that gave you a kind of value. And there was probably something that if his parents had been anything like me as a parent, they would have struggled mightily at John not doing what good, decent, respectable people do. 
Let me tell you something. While other priests probably celebrated with Zechariah when Elizabeth became pregnant, all the gossip and the story and the disgrace that had been there in their journey of infertility, once John's ministry got started, all of that started again. All of it started again. And God had used that journey, that wilderness time they had been on, to much more likely be the kind of parents who would sit there and say, you be faithful. You be faithful, John, and play to an audience of one. You follow the call that is before you, John. We can handle the arrows. We can handle the barbs. We can handle the jokes. We can handle the eye rolls. We can handle not being left. We have journeyed this before. And as a parent, it gives me a challenge to think about. And what I'd like to submit to you, to consider this Advent, is that while God was shaping and forming John and Zechariah and Elizabeth for this path that he had for them to redeem the world, in your waiting, God is not absent from you either. And God is molding and shaping each of us in our lives for a journey ahead of us that is beyond what we can predict or imagine. And the job of faith is not to ignore those things so that we get Christmassy. The job of faith is to look that waiting in the eye and to know that it will not be the end of our story. And so we wait in hope. Because we do not need to fear that God is ignorious. And so I invite you to listen as we close to the words that Gabriel spoke to Zechariah as he was waiting and to hear these words as words and promise and hope that is spoken to each of you today in your place of pain. Do not be Afraid. The Lord has heard your prayers. You will have joy and gladness, and you shall rejoice. That is how we wait. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we ask this day as people that are carrying different burdens and waiting for them to be released, may we wait today not asking the question why, first and foremost, but asking how we are called to journey forward. And may we believe and trust that this candle of hope that burns, burns for each of us. And that our waiting shall be redeemed. We pray for this in Christ's name. Amen.